This episode of Light Source is brought to you by Squarespace.com. For fast, easy publishing of a professional website, check out photographers.squarespace.com slash ls. And when you sign up, use the promo code LS1 to receive a 10% discount. I'm Los Angeles photographer Dana Hersey, and you're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 60 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer with iStockphoto.com. Now on today's episode, we are going to have a little interview with Dana Hersey. He is a commercial photographer, kind of based out of the California area. He's also been an instructor at UCLA and the Art College of Design in Pasadena. He is a wonderful photographer. He does some really cool, creative, conceptual ideas, and we talk with him a bit about it. And he has some pretty cool illustrative photography type ideas that are pretty similar to what we've seen a lot lately with uh, Dave Hill and Dan Cuto on recent shows. But the interesting thing with Dana's work is that he does his stuff in camera. He's kind of like the old school guy. So uh, check out some of his photos while we're talking with him and you'll kind of get an idea of some of the stuff that he does. And um, I thought it was a pretty cool interview. Yeah, it was really interesting. And I love the way that a lot of those photos are, you know, technically set up for hours in the studio. <laughs> Well, before we get to the interview, do we uh, have anything going on that we want to talk about? Well, I guess Lightroom had an update this past week or so. Yeah, I saw that. They're up to 1.4 now. Yeah. In addition to the Lightroom 1.4, there's also an update to Camera Raw 4.4 as well. And a lot of these updates are kind of like the ones that they're releasing a lot. And they are updates to include new cameras that have come out. Um, a lot of the Sony A200, 300, 350, the Olympus SB570, Nikon D60, Fuji's, the Canon 450D, Digital Rebel, etc. A lot of those cameras are included in this update. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of um, actual program updates to it. So a lot of this stuff is basic camera updates to it. Right, which is important. Yeah, especially if you have one of those. <laughs> exactly. So seeing that uh, I don't have those cameras, I'm not likely to update my camera raw quite yet. Well, speaking of Lightroom also, I found a really good book this past week that's a free online ebook for Lightroom users. You know, I'd seen it on another forum and I didn't click on it because I didn't register with me that it's free. Yeah, it's totally free. It's by Image Space and it's a Lightroom Tips ebooks and it's a handful of tips that are just things that maybe are a little bit deeper in the application or things that are a little harder to find easily. So, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's definitely something to check out. You'll have to check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes for people to check the page out and, and download the book. And you know, while we're still talking about Lightroom, not that the Nap guys really need our promotion because they're doing so well on their own, but uh, Matt Kluskowski has a really good blog called Lightroom Killer Tips, and it, it's an excellent read. He has a lot of uh, good information out there, puts out a video, a brief short video talking about uh, some sort of a tip with Lightroom, but he also includes a new preset each Monday. We were kind of showing a little bit of them here back and forth in our IM before the show kind of looking at some of the before and after pictures and i'm really floored with what you can do with simple presets in lightroom presets are good the free presets he's putting up there are really i'm i'm impressed too it's a lot of stuff that would take a number of steps or complex actions inside of photoshop and now you can sit there and just develop your images right out of lightroom I'm really impressed with how quick the application is. So it's uh, it's something that's getting more and more valuable to, to photographers. Very good stuff. 
Well, shifting from Lightroom over to Light Source, we have information for our monthly assignments that we're going to be handing out. Yeah, we had been talking about giving everybody assignments. I think we're finally ready to kick it off. Do you have the information there in front of you? I do. Basically, the way this is going to work, and I wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to the Flickr user Ami Siano. Siano's been a big help getting some of this kind of going. I think he was the guy that put the original post up, and he's going to be helping us out, actually, on studiolighting.net with posting of each of the assignments. And the way that we're thinking it's going to go at this point is that it's going to happen monthly, that we're going to give a theme and allow everybody to give it their best shot. And we're going to be posting on studiolighting.net a little intro video that Ed put together, and we'll have more of those to come. Kind of kicks off the whole assignment series and gives everybody some example shots and stuff like that to work from. So I'm excited about it. I think we all are. And the way that you can get information is by visiting studiolighting.net, and you can click on the show notes from this episode, or you can go right to the assignments category and look through the posts. There will be one there for this month's assignment, and you can find the topic there. And then all the discussion and everything will also be starting in Flickr, in our Light Source Flickr group. And we'll use Flickr to post the assignment images, of course. Cool. Yeah, yeah and then as we're completing these, and uh, uh, we'll see if we can get some of the contributors to contribute images to future videos so when we're introducing the next topic we can kind of show off some of the work that you guys have done in the in the video i guess we're gonna call them light source shorts that seems to be the best thing for them i like it i do too so we'll do that and good luck to everybody looking forward to seeing all the different images that will come in well while we're talking about assignments and kind of giving yourself some work to do i've stumbled on a couple of links that i've found recently that i thought were pretty cool uh one is at photowalking.org and it's kind of a not a foreign concept to us because we've done these before but not i guess formally calling them photo walks yeah photo walks are the definition here says they are the art of walking around with a camera with the main purpose of taking photos that you might find interesting right which pretty much sums it up pretty straightforward Pretty straightforward. Get a group of people together, meet somewhere, go for a walk, shoot photos. You know, when we did that a couple of times, I was amazed at how everybody's perspective is so different and what they pick out of us. Like you could all be standing around the same building and pick like 10 or 12 different angles. And just it's a lot of fun to do that. It, it is fun. And especially you get to help each other with different camera settings or different ideas or someone will be looking at something one way and they'll go, oh, well, hey, that kind of looks like this. And then that'll trigger someone else to think of something else in a different direction. So I'm thinking we need to do a, a Harrisburg photo walk sometime this spring. Yeah, because the website you sent me is a little more formal. I mean, we were just a bunch of guys hanging out, but this is something you could sign up for and that sort of thing. Well, if you're in the Harrisburg area and it sounds like something you'd like to do, hit us up and we'll we'll pick a date and put one uh Put something out there on the uh, forum for people to, to join us. Sounds good. A couple other things, kind of a variation of the photo walk. It's something that a friend of mine, Sean King, who is the host of Your Mac Life. If you're a Mac fan, you might recognize that name, Sean. He went on a couple uh, photo walks and liked them. Unfortunately, everyone isn't in the same geographic location to do these. So Sean came up with the idea of time shooting. Now, what is time shooting? Well, time shooting, it, well, here, let me quote Sean's email that he sent to photowalkingpro.com. <sighs> That's a lot of photo walking, talking, shooting <laughs> time. All right, Sean's email reads, I like the idea of picking a date and time as many of us as possible go out shooting simultaneously. And he's going to rotate the time so folks in different time zones or even continents can participate during their normal hours. So that way everyone's kind of shooting at the, the same time of day, not necessarily, all right, everyone go out now in the world. The advantage of this idea is that you don't necessarily have to be in the same location 
or at a particular time. All you have to do is have your camera with you at that time. So if you're at the office, click away. If you're at home, take shots of the kids or on the bus, take pictures of city streets, etc. So May has a website and some links and stuff that we can put in the show notes so that you can find out when the next time shoot is. Looks like we just missed the March one. So we'll have to get ready for the April ones. Sounds like something cool to do. It's kind of like the the virtual version of photo walking. Absolutely. I think that's a pretty good idea. We have a lot of friends from all over the place and it's really hard to schedule any time to get together sometimes. It's kind of a cool social experiment as well, too, because you're saying, all right, what is everybody else doing in, like, say, this five-minute window? Right. It'd be kind of, it's kind of cool. No doubt. kind of like a slice of life and seeing what everyone does. Well, if you wanted something a little bit more competitive, another one of my Flickr contacts, the gentleman's name's uh, Rasmus Rasmussen. He's actually the husband of Kelly Klein, the food photographer that we had on an earlier episode of Light Source. He did something that was called a photo marathon. And I, I was like, well, what's a photo marathon? Well, it's a photo competition where you get a group of participants together at a location at a certain time, and then they go out and take a series of photos of predetermined subjects that whatever the hosts of the fair photo marathon come up with. And they'll give you a time period, whether it's like 12 or 24 hours or whatever, and you have to return with a set of photos or at least return having uh, completed the assignment. It looks like that typically they're 12 to 24 hours, but I think there could be some pretty cool ones in, like, say, a two, three-hour time frame. I think that's a really good idea. Putting yourself under the pressure, just showing up somewhere with your camera gear and say, all right, here's your list. Bring me pictures in an hour. I think that's a very cool idea. It's kind of like when you and I go down to the studio with no plan. <laughs> it is kind of like those nights, isn't it? <laughs> all right, we have two hours. We, and we need something that's to sell. The thing that all of these ideas have in common is that they get you shooting. And that's really what we're after with our assignments and with all the ideas we're throwing out because, you know, it's sometimes just hard just to get out there and go. And then the other thing that I find that I, I have trouble with sometimes is motivating myself. Right. So if you have other people to, to help push you or push your ideas even farther. Yeah, these are all things that, that just help keep me rolling. Absolutely. So, Some really good stuff. So hopefully the late source assignments will help you guys. I'll be curious to see what you guys come up with for our first assignment. Yeah, and maybe what we'll do is create a gallery of uh, some of the best shots on our Squarespace like website. Oh, that'd be really cool. We had a gallery up at lightsource.squarespace.com for our last podcast. We're going to try to do that again for this episode. But it turned out to be well-received, I think. We got a whole lot of visitors, and I want to just say that when I was putting the gallery together, it really was a piece of cake. I just had my images, had them all in a zip file, uploaded them through the interface, and it created my gallery for me. So it took about five minutes to create the gallery. I just wanted to explain how simple that was. Yeah, I'm a big fan of simple. Yeah. The other thing that's cool is that they have a lot of really good statistics built in, like analytics, so I can basically log into the Squarespace site and see how many visitors came and viewed the gallery and where they came from and that sort of thing. So that's all built in. So check it out, lightsource.squarespace.com. And if you want to get your own Squarespace website, you can do that by going to photographers.squarespace.com slash ls and sign up and get a trial. And if you like it and you decide to continue it, when you sign up and purchase your Squarespace, use the coupon code ls1 and you'll get a 10% discount. Good times. For some more inspiration, let's get on into the interview. (laughs) 
Orlando. On this edition of The Light Source, we have with us this evening Dana Hersey. Dana is a photographer from California. He's been a commercial uh, portrait lifestyle photographer for a number of years. Uh, he's been a teacher, actually not has been, is a teacher at UCLA and the Art Center of College and Design in Pasadena. Here to talk to us a little bit about what he does, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely, thank you. Now, was that accurate? Are you still an instructor there? Um, I am currently not teaching at UCLA, and as far as Art Center, these days I come and go over there. You know, Art Center is really a school about uh, professionals teaching the next generation, and so a lot of us working professionals kind of phase in and out over there as our careers sometimes can take over our lives. So um, currently I'm not teaching a class, but, you know, it, it changes from term to term. But I've been teaching there. Uh, I taught there a good solid 10 years in the 80s and 90s, uh, and now it's just kind of uh, hit and miss. Wow, taught for 10 years. I mean, your portrait, you don't look like that old of a guy. How long have you been in the industry? <laughs> um, I've been shooting for, professionally, I've been shooting for about 22 years, maybe. Wow. wow. Yeah. You know, but I started teaching just a couple years after I graduated from Art Center. They had a program there that was called Saturday High. It was just kind of a fledgling program, and they were offering courses in just about all of the majors offered at Art Center except photography. And so I kind of banged on their door and said, hey, why aren't you teaching a, a class in photography? And that kind of started my teaching over there. Oh, cool. So now how did you get started in photography at, in, at itself? Well, my step dad was for a short stint a photographer uh he did some work for things like road and track and car and driver magazine because he's a car fanatic as well but uh growing up my rather large family was always subjected to him and his camera going at all times <laughs> he actually handed off a camera to me when i was about oh, 12 years old i guess gave me an old srt 101 minolta and started taking pictures, doing, you know, the, the usual, the high school yearbook stuff, things like that. And I always thought I would go into the family business, which was a, a hobby shop business. And probably about my junior year in high school, I had a, a friend and instructor or teacher there that told me about Art Center. He said, you know, here's a school that you can go to and you can actually make a career of photography. You can go to the school and you don't have to do any general ed. I wasn't fond of school. Didn't want to go to college because I didn't want to deal with all the general ed stuff. And I'm going, oh my God, this is, a, you know, this is pretty cool. I can go and do something that I really enjoy doing for a living and I don't have to deal with any of the general ed. So I went up and I saw, our, uh, went on a tour of the Art Center campus and I was totally sucked in. I saw the kind of work that people were doing, uh, the commercial work, which it had never dawned on me that that could be a profession. And the caliber of work that was there at the time, what, to me, was just incredible. And so I was totally sold. Now, of course, the minute I got hooked, I realized that the teacher was, didn't know what he was talking about, and you <laughs> totally had to do all your general ed. But at that point, I was so hooked, it's like I went to my local college, I got all of my GE out of the way so that I could go to Art Center and really just focus on photography. Well, where does your career taken you? Can you give us a brief overview of what kind of work you do and what you're most interested in nowadays? Um, I have kind of been all over the map. I remember when I went into Art Center, um, I went in to be a product photographer. And I don't know why, but that's just, I went in and that's the, the tack I was going to take. And about the middle of the process over there, everybody's kind of forced to do a little bit of everything. And I was forced 
to take a portrait class and uh, realized through that one class that the reason I wanted to be a product photographer is because I was petrified of having somebody in front of my lens right. and having to feel like I, you know, entertaining them or I didn't want to be imposing upon them or their time. And it was uh, definitely a challenge for me, but I kind of got into it. So by the time I came out of Art Center, I was doing what everybody was doing at the time, which was, you got to shoot fashion. That's, that's it, you know. Uh, so I got out of Art Center. I did a couple years of studio managing for a uh, fairly big L.A. fashion photographer. I had a lot of business sense because of my family business and, and studying a little bit of business even in high school. So. I got pulled in as the studio manager because I really filled a void for that particular studio of being able to handle kind of the business end as well. You know, I had a blast there for two years. At the same time, I was kicking myself that I wasn't out there shooting my, for myself. I saw my colleagues doing it and, and thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing? And I finally got out of there and through that process realized that I didn't want to do what it took to be a successful fashion photographer. And in my mind, that was all of the the scene. I just didn't want to do the scene. It wasn't who I was. So I kind of migrated more towards portraiture and that over a couple of years had morphed into more lifestyle. And I've done little stints of, you know, travel and hospitality work. And so I was in school a generalist and I still feel that I am a generalist and that tends to be out of the ordinary. Uh, a lot of people really feel that you have to concentrate on one particular field. Otherwise, the art directors, art buyers don't know where to pigeonhole you. Right. Uh, and they feel like if they see all this different stuff, the remark is, well, that's great, but what do you do? <laughs> and I've never really been comfortable with pigeonholing myself because I just, I love the variety. I love, you know, it's, it's great. We as photographers, we get to do something kind of different every day regardless. But to be a generalist, it's like it's something really different every day because one day I could be shooting portraits. The next day it could be an annual report. The next day it could be for a food client. So I, I really do a little bit of everything. These days, uh, you know, I would say in the past couple of years, I've kind of been migrating into more conceptual work. Um, one of my main clients these days is United Healthcare, and they've just done a major rebranding um, after acquiring a couple other uh, companies. And we've just done a bunch of conceptual images with Deutsch. Uh, to give them a whole new rebranding. And I've had a blast with that because, again, it, in, it has incorporated all of my background. You know, we've done product, we've done people, uh, we've done location and studio, we've done sets. And I think that's kind of the direction I'm leaning right now is doing, you know, larger sets, larger productions, and location and set work. So that's the bulk of it. I've I've also been part of, over the past couple of years, a documentary project called the 14 Days Project. They've done two trips so far, 14 Days in America and 14 Days in Great Britain. Um, I was only on the Great Britain trip. Um, I hadn't met the creators of this uh, until after the America trip. And it's a, a documentary film and photography documentary project. We did 14 cities in 14 days across Great Britain, and I shot about 600 different people, wow. about 6,000 frames of portraits during those 14 days. <laughs> That's insane. And 
that was, yeah, it was uh, a brutal, brutal trip. But that was that's another thing that kind of fell in my lap completely unexpectedly and totally out of my comfort realm as well. So I think it's really cool that you can kind of jump in all these different forms of photography and your portfolio really shows a wide breadth because of that. And I do think you're right that it's kind of unique to, to find guys that can do that. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the conceptual photography that you mentioned, because mm-hmm. as I page through your portfolio, a lot of those just kind of jumped out as, at me as being really interesting. What is that? Is that a, would you call that photographic illustration? Yeah. I, um, you know, we, we just kind of gone conceptual with, you know, we've, we've used the term conceptual since we started doing this kind of work, but yeah, I mean, I, I would think that that's probably an applicable term as well. Are these typically for specific assignments or are you coming up with a lot of these on your own? Um, a lot of what's on the website is from the recent projects for United Healthcare. A lot of most, I would say most of those are because we've done three major shoots just last year for them, um, you know, like multi-week shoots. Um, so a lot of those images that are currently on the website um, are from that. And so many of the images uh, are concepts from the, the ad guys over at uh, Deutsch. I shouldn't say guys, it's guys and men and women over at Deutsch. Right. And, you know, there were probably four times as many concepts as what we actually shot. And they came up with just a slew of things. That's great. But that kind of sparked some creative juices in myself where I'm now coming up with my own concepts to, to do some of these larger productions, just whether it's self promos or whatever. And, um, I shudder to think at, at what it's going to cost to do them, but, uh, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to see if I can't get a couple more projects through the door so that we can finance doing some stuff that is more just personal, but of the same vein. Right. Well, I, I guess I have a couple of follow-up questions related to that because they seem like really technical shots. And I think that's what you're, you're saying when you talk about them being big sets. And is this the kind of thing, like some of them are very technical. Is this the kind of thing that you're doing everything before it gets into the camera? Or is this a combination of compositing and you know that sort of thing well we're doing most we're you know because i come from i mean i i don't know that i am that old i'm 44 years old but i still come from an education where there was no digital but i'm also a super techno geek so uh once i migrated to digital which was about five or six i guess it's about six years ago now i was hooked i converted all of my clients over to digital some of them kicking and screaming, but now they love me for it. Um, and I've pretty much sold all of my film cameras, I've, uh, you know, and it's all digital now. Part of the education in that is knowing, you know, what's going to take less time to do something in front of the camera or something in post-production. So, but because I come from that film background, I always try to get as much in the lens as possible. So that we're not, we're not spending the hours on, you know, compositing or retouching. So if it's doable in the camera, then we, that's the direction we try and take. Um, but there is a fine line and you do have to know, okay, it's going to be, you know, it's going to take us five minutes to do that in post as opposed to an hour in camera. Right. So, you know, a lot of the images, again, on the website, there's some things there that are absolutely composited. There's a, there's a tennis court shot and a swimming pool shot that are completely post-production to, you know, put the company logo and stuff into into those themes. But uh, I would say the better part of them are mostly in camera. Let's back up a little bit. How would you go about, you have like a drawing from an art director. 
What's the process that you go through for getting it to an image? You know, uh, it's, I just always find it so fascinating that uh, every photographer seems to take a little bit different tack on this. And a lot of years, and in my early years, I used to beat myself up because I wasn't doing it the way some other famous guy was doing it. And uh, I finally just relaxed into, you know what, everybody's got their own way and this is the way I do it. One is that, I mean, my natural tack on this is to always go vibrant colors. I just, when I was shooting film, I only shot Fuji Velvia. Never shot it. I mean, you know, yeah, if I had to shoot black and white, I would shoot something else. But Velvia was the only film I would use. I've kind of done the same thing when I go to digital. I just tend to go for more saturate, rich colors. And I look at other work and I go, oh, that's really great. I'd love to do something like that. But the minute I get behind the camera, I always veer back to what I do naturally. So it's something that's kind of ingrained in me. When, you know, when a art director gives me a layout, usually they're pretty rough. And what usually happens with me is I pretty much get an image that pops into my head right away. And I take my set stylist and, and propping people and, and just kind of take them down that road with me. I describe how I see the details from that rough drawing and, you know, kind of pull them down the same path with me sometimes. Right. <laughs> but, you know, the, you know, on the technical side, I would say that that's one thing I really appreciate about my education at Art Center and the fact that we were kind of forced to do a little bit of everything is that I look at, you know, I had a colleague who only wanted to do fashion and every, every time we, we would have a, a product assignment uh, at Art Center, she would bitch and moan at me and oh man I can't I hate doing this I don't want to do this This is not what I'm going to be doing when I get out of school and it's like but it all applies because when you're doing the the product work you're lighting the product and it's like how is that any different than lighting a model the model is a product right and so the technical um, assets there are the same and the funny thing is that same colleague got out went to New York was shooting fashion and the art directors there are going, well, you're shooting the fashion for us. We'd love for you to shoot some of the cosmetic products for us as well. And I just remember the day she called up and she's going, you're going to really laugh. I'm shooting product, you know? That's funny. And it's because of, you know, it's it's getting that well-rounded technical base that really, I think, allows you to be more creatively free. Um, if you learn things like lighting, like composition, like color, and you learn them to the extent that they're so ingrained in you that you don't even realize you know them anymore. It's so automatic. It really allows you to kind of push those aside. They'll happen automatically because they're so ingrained. And you can just focus on the creative. So the tools kind of get out of your way. <laughs> That's been my experience. Okay. And, and it's kind of weird because they're so ingrained that there are times where I think, wait a minute, this is almost too easy. I'm, I've got to be missing something. <laughs> it's a scary feeling, but it's also a good feeling to know, okay, no, it's, you know, that's the stuff that you just do by rote. That is just so natural that you don't need to worry about it anymore. Well, if you don't mind, I have a couple technical questions related just while we're on the conceptual stuff. Okay. The, uh, for example, there's a couple images you have. One is a lady shredding some shrubbery with a chainsaw. Right. That's and not. another one where a person is sawing a stack of paper and there's shreds of paper going everywhere. Right. How do you get 
real looking scraps of things flying everywhere in an image like that. <laughs> um, it's funny because those were both, uh, those were done within a couple days of each other. Those two shots, uh, the head shot and the stack of paper shot were re- literally within a couple days of each other. And the, the flying stuff that's happening is the prop stylist hiding out of frame, throwing the actual stuff at the model. Wow. She did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it was, we were laughing hysterically uh, during both of those because it was a, a reoccurring theme, but, and that's, that's, it was that simple. That's great. Okay. So, so we weren't too far off though when we, when we had my son running across the studio and you were throwing papers at him. Yeah. We were trying some stuff like that. It's hard to get <laughs> stuff to actually a go in the frame at the right time and, and B look, you know, real. <laughs> Right. Well, the the lucky thing on both of these were that the set stylist, he could be close enough to the action. You know, he's hiding right behind the bush. So he's right there and he's hiding right out of the frame on the paper stuff. So it, you know, yeah, if you have to go any distance, yeah, it gets real tough real quick. Well, I think you did a great job on those images. Thanks. Well, I was also wondering if you could just, it's a little more general, but if you could describe to me, there's a big difference in your conceptual images and how they're lit versus like lifestyle and that sort of thing. So before we get into some more natural light discussion, what are some principles that kind of separate that type of photography for you in terms of lighting and equipment? The and conceptual stuff? work? Yeah. You know, part of it is that I I don't necessarily like to just do the same thing over and over again. I definitely go through phases with lighting where, you know, I'll go through a grid spot phase and that's all I'll use is grid okay. spot. And I went through a very long phase of using a silk for almost everything. And it's not necessarily a silk on a frame. I have a big old equipment, a white equipment parachute that I got at a surplus store. And literally for years, I would throw that up on two C-stands and bounce a couple lights through it. And it just, it was, and still is. I mean, I still have the thing and I still use it. It's such a nice, soft light, very much like window light, you know, and with these, uh, the conceptual pieces, I'm just, I'm trying to explore new lighting all the time so that I'm not doing the same thing over and over again. And the only thing I can say is the reason they look different is because I'm constantly evolving. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think, I actually think we all do that as photographers and we all can, you know, hopefully we all consistently grow, learn new things change a little bit. Um, and so I'm, you know, I, it's weird. I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, 20 some odd years. I still feel like I'm looking for my voice. Okay. Right. Another thing that jumped out at me in a lot of these images is the you, and you talked a little bit about how you love color. What are some ways that you get that vibrant color in your shots? Is it picking the right background paper or using gels? Is there something that does it for you that you always do? Um, I, don't use a lot of gels. I mean, I and it's not that I never do it. I it's but it's not something I necessarily do a lot of. Again, when it was with film, the Velvia would just take the colors and run with them. So it's it, it kind of all happened for me. Part of it is yeah, it's picking whether it's the background colors or the the material, the subject material. It's getting vibrant colors to begin with, and then these days with digital, you know. One thing that I think really makes a difference is that it's not just the color. It's also the contrast. Um, the minute you bump up the contrast, it makes your colors 
more vibrant too, visually. So I tend to go a little more on the contrasty side. I mean, I did that with Velvia. When I was shooting Velvia, I never ran the film normal ever. Mm. I always pushed the film. So that would take the colors even that little extra step. So now with digital, we, we pump up the contrast. We pump up um, the saturation or, you know, if you've got Lightroom users out there, the new Vibrance slider is one of my best friends. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's a combination of both, of, of playing with those. Um, still trying to, you know, we still absolutely want to retain detail, highlights and shadow detail and all that kind of stuff. But snapping up the contrast and snapping up the saturation uh, in post-production uh, is pretty normal for us. Now I have a question for you. I've been um, now I've been around photography for a number of years. Um, I've been an art director back in the days of film photographers, but I've been a photographer mostly since the days of digital. As an instructor, now for you know, there's a you know a lot of the current crop of photographers probably have never been inside of a dark room and never exposed their own film and things like that. Do you think that there's things that the current crop of digital guys are probably missing from not having the experience of the film days behind them or something that they should research or look into or study a little you know, bit? I've struggled with that, you know, and I've actually, I was actually just thinking about that the other day as to whether that's really a valid, valid argument or not. My knee jerk reaction is absolutely um, that there is stuff that they're missing, but at the same time, it's like, okay, is there something that we missed as photographers using color film? that photographers knew who were only using black and white before the days of color. Right. You know, the tools change and the technology changes, and I think we need to adapt to it. The fact is, is that there's so much more that you're able to do now with digital that really wasn't feasible to do, whether it's technically or budgetarily, when we were shooting just film. Um, I mean, these, these conceptual shots that we did for United Healthcare would have cost so much more money. Um, if we were, or may not have been achievable right. if we were doing it on film. So right. there is that, but I do look at what I learned in the darkroom, both the black and white darkroom and the color darkroom. And again, it's, it's information that has become so ingrained in me that I don't cognitively think about it. But part of it is color theory. Definitely when you're having to process uh, your own color film, you get way more critical about color balance and and that and you learn it so much better and it helps you in the digital world to be able to more efficiently go into photoshop or lightroom or whatever you're using and make quick adjustments because the theory behind it is so ingrained in you that you you know which slider to go for right uh because of that color theory and that color theory was ingrained in me at Art Center. And so I think things like color theory, I don't think anybody has to spend months and months and months on it. But I think it's a good thing to get down really well. Granted, we spent probably a year plus on working with color theory along with other things uh, during our education there. But I would say that the, what most current photographers are up against who don't have a lot of the classical or foundation education and technical education is the mentality of I'll fix it in Photoshop. 
And I think that's a real downfall because it's, you know, and people will probably get tired of hearing that too, that it's, that it's a downfall. But, you know, you, if you start with a quality image, it's only going to get better. And if you're starting with something and right off the bat you're saying, eh, I'll, don't worry about it, I'll fix it in Photoshop, then my feeling is that the end product isn't all it could be. So learning your lighting, uh, learning composition, learning color, I, I think are all imperative. Now, hey, anybody, I, is it possible to make an incredible photograph without that? Absolutely. But those who have that background are going to make those good photographs more consistently. I guess before we actually get off of some of the conceptual work in your portfolio, since it seems to be a little more artificial light involved than some of your other stuff, and mm-hmm. generally speaking then, what types of lighting equipment do you find yourself gravitating towards? Is there things in, uh, in your studio that you just love or you'd like to talk a little bit about? And I'll give you a little bit of a of some insight. We, we uh, had Dylan Borgman on the show, who is a digital technician that worked with you a couple of times. Absolutely. Yep. And he said, he, he's, here's a quote from Dylan. He said, he's got a lot of lighting tricks that I'd never seen before. So, oh. <laughs> so we were hoping that you might share <laughs> one or two of those with us. Okay. Um, well, again, you know, part of it comes from that traditional foundation education at art center. And I encourage people to go take light. I mean, I, you know, if I had time, I would t- go take more lighting classes because that's, you're only going to learn. The more people you're around, the, the more you're going to learn. So, you know, whether you do like a Santa Fe workshop or, you know, a night class someplace where they're teaching lighting, I encourage, you can never stop learning that. I, two, God, was it two years ago, a year ago or two years ago, I switched. I had been on a Speedatron system, you know, since Art Center. So for almost 20 years, I had been working with Speedatron. And I just, needed to have the the interesting thing is when I switched to digital I started to really notice the pitfalls of the Speedatron system. Um they were great for film. Um uh, but the minute you get to digital, digital's so much more precise that it started to show some of the flaws of the Speedatron system for me. One of it was flash to flash consistency. So one pop to the next, I would have slightly different exposures. Mm. So I've now migrated to a Profoto system. Um I just Got a whole new pro photo system um, either a year or a year and a half ago. I got the D4 packs uh, and a bunch of heads and um, got a ring light, uh, which I had not worked with before. And I got their stick light, which is fun for funky little things. It's not super usable, but um, <laughs> it's, it's neat to have when you have that one instance that it's great for. But again, I don't lock myself into any one particular thing. You know, if a, if a shot calls for a couple huge soft boxes, right over the camera, then that's what we do. Um, if it calls for grid spots, that's what we do. Uh, and one of the things, I mean, again, the, the silk has always been one of my favorite tools. And I use the silk with, with sunlight or I use the silk with stroke heads, either one. You know, there, I remember doing a shoot where we had to light the front, front porch of a cabin and we strung this 24-foot silk up and ran six heads through it to make it look kind of like sunset. That's great. Um, uh, like, if we go back to, like, the headshot, we were just trying, you know, these were all supposed to be, these images were all supposed to be just a touch on the surreal side. They didn't want them to look too natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, the headshot where the businesswoman is slicing through the hedge with a chainsaw, we still wanted it to look like sunlight. 
So that one we actually used the pro photo. They have a, a just a white globe that fits over the the heads, and so we use that a lot of time when I'm doing sunlight. I simply just put a bare head out with no reflector on it, and I just stick it up high and fairly far away from the subject. And just the bare head is a great way to go for for simulating sunlight. That's cool. And then uh, you know, it's just I I don't have a formula. Right. It's just. <laughs> From shot to shot, I, I'm really, you know, I might have a vision of what I think it should look like in my head, but I know that there's there's other guys and gals out there that do a lot of research and they do a lot of you know pencil sketches and all that kind of stuff. I tend to be a lot more organic about it. I show up the day of the shoot and I walk onto the set and I kind of I just take you know five or ten minutes to myself. And I stand there and I visualize in the moment. It's like, okay, here's what I have to work with. There's the model that I'm working with. Here's the set that I'm working with. And I literally just look at it, shut my eyes, and I visualize. I, I feel like I'm pretty good at visualizing. And I kind of build the shot in my head in the moment. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, that's what I want to do. Okay, here's how we do it. You know, I want a sharper light over here or a softer light over there. Right. And use the tools accordingly. So you kind of show up with a truck full of gear and just pick and choose as you need it? Yeah, you know, but I don't go overboard. You know, I don't do the Annie Leibovitz thing of renting every pack in the city um, <laughs> in in anticipation. You know, I've got two two packs, six heads, a um, couple specialty heads, four umbrellas, you know, three or four different soft boxes. I get it all packed up. And yeah, I pretty much bring everything with me so that I'm ready for any eventuality. Okay. You know, it's funny. We were talking about those globes, kind of going back to that idea again for the natural sunlight. I was actually in a restaurant the other night and I was looking up at those similar globes and I was thinking to myself, I wonder what they would look like on, on my alien bees. Mm. And I actually elbowed my friend to it. So now I can point to Bill and I can say, here, this picture here, that's what they look like. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's great. If you don't mind, maybe we could talk a little bit about some of your lifestyle stuff and uh, talk a little bit more about natural light and how you control that. Absolutely. Do you find yourself switching mentality completely when you know you're heading out to a a location shoot or you're going to be away from the studio? Uh, The only mentality shift, I think, is do we have enough generators? Okay. (laughs) Um, We, you know, we bring generators with us. I, I, tend to always just have the strobes with us just in case. And again, it's it's that kind of thing where I'll get onto a location and look at what's, you know, whenever possible, we try and scatter it ahead of time so we can see what the light's doing. But sometimes we don't have that luxury. And we just kind of have to show up and go, okay, how, you know, what are we going to do to make this particular thing work? I like to use strobes in conjunction with, with daylight, whether it's to fill or whether it's to actually overpower. You know, one of the shots on the, the in the lifestyle section on my website is a surfer. And, you know, he's got the sun directly behind him. And we're basically matching or overpowering the sunlight uh, with a strobe from camera angle. It's above the camera. But um, I, I really enjoy actually that process of kind of balancing available light with strobe light and, and playing with it a little bit. Then again, the other thing that we do is we, we pull out the old silk and throw that up and, and it just makes for a really, I mean, I just think that the silk makes my life so easy sometimes. If things start to get complex, we just pull the silk out. 
<laughs> now, when you're talking about the silk, you're talking about that that parachute. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a what I've got is a poor man's silk. There's times where we actually go out and we rent a silk and high rollers, you know, a twelve by twelve frame with a big silk on it, and we'll we'll throw that up if if the shoot that we're doing is a little more contrived or you know we we know absolutely that's where we're headed we'll throw an actual silk on a frame up again that's something that we'll rent on a shoot-by-shoot basis if we feel we're going to need it um but but otherwise the parachute that i have folds up into like a little sleeping bag duffel it's um it's actually 12 by 24 but i have it usually doubled so it's a 12 by 12 we clamp it into a couple c-stands hike it up and you know we're good to go of course, the inevitable thing whenever we use that outside is the minute we put it up, we start to get wind and right. <laughs> sail away from us. But um, now, how do you how do you control something that size when you when you get any kind of a wind? Um, a lot of assistance. <laughs> <laughs> we we actually uh, had a shoot where I'm trying to think. We actually didn't have the silk. We were actually, or I mean, the parachute. We were actually using a silk on a frame. And we had it on a couple high rollers, and we we had that was the shot we had that was how we had to light that particular shot, and we had the high rollers with multiple sandbags on them. We had the high rollers tied off to an SUV, and the wind was so bad that it actually bent one of the high rollers. And these things are two or three inches around, and so it was you know you get into those situations where it's not controllable, but. I mean, really, for the most part, we're pretty lucky. But for the small, you know, if it's a portrait, if it's a one or two person shot, we don't have to go that high with it. And uh, we just make sure we have people standing on the C stands along with sandbags and stuff, just holding that. And then, you know, the minute we're done shooting, they drop it immediately so that we don't have to contend with it. Do you, do you have any advice for when you mix strobe light with sunlight? Are there things that you shouldn't do in order to get cross shadows or have unnatural looking photos? Cause I notice a lot of people that try to take their strobes outside sometimes come back with images that are, they look a little bit unnatural, but you can't tell why. Yeah, absolutely. And, and doing double shadows is, you know, I try to stay away from doing that. Um, cause it bothers me to have double shadows and I look at other people's stuff and, and the minute I see that it's, it's kind of like, Oh, what's going on there? What you want to do is, it's really a balancing effect, um, and it is having strobes that are powerful enough to overpower the daylight or match it. And it's also a camera issue. Uh, it's a you know there's a sync speed issue here, and that's where I ran into a problem recently, where we were trying to slightly overpower the daylight, and although the strobes had enough power to do it, we didn't have the sync speed on the camera. You know, you're shooting with a uh, an EOS 1DS, uh, you know, Mark II, Mark III, whatever. You know, their maximum sync speeds with strobe is, you know, I think they say 125. I usually can go up to 200th of a second and still be okay. But for some of these pictures, you need to be up at 250th or 500th of a second, and you can't do that. Right. And the only cameras that can do that are things like a Hasselblad. So you do run up against it sometimes with that depending on, how hot the sun is that day, you know, how bright it is. But if you can, again, it's, it's knowing your lighting. So if you're going to use sun and strobe, you want to try and keep the two light sources 
on the same half of the person. Uh, in other words, if you draw a line through their nose from the, you know, from the camera through the, the subject's nose, if you can keep both of them on that axis or to one side, you're not going to really have any problem with the double shadow. Right. Um, but the minute you start to do ones on one side and ones on the other, that's when you're going to get the double shadow or the kind of bizarre look to it. So if you're trying to fill, if you're using sun and you want to fill it a little bit with some flash, keep the sun obviously to one side and keep your fill flash as much to the same side as possible, but where it will still fill in the shadows for you. Makes a lot of sense. Looking through a lot of your portrait photography, a lot of your models are very relaxed. They have really great natural expressions. What is it like on set with you? How do you direct people to get those sorts of emotions out of them? There's a couple different ways to do it, you know, and that's, that's always, for me, it's always the unknown. We don't, I don't have a formula. Part of it is that obviously if you can get comfortable with the model beforehand, that's always beneficial. And I try to, you know, if, if it's actually a model or someone who's on set a little bit before, maybe they're going into hair and make or something, makeup or wardrobe, I'll go in and try and spend a little bit of time with them in there and just talk about nothing related to what we're doing. Um, just so that there's a little more of a casual connection there. You know, then the thing is, is it's just, it's, I try and have fun on my shoots. There's no reason that a shoot should be anything but fun. So it's conversation. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the photographer's demeanor on the set. And so if you as a photographer are really uptight and you know, upset about something or nervous about it, it's going to come off. And the, the person in front of the camera is going to react to that. So I, for the most part, really just try and make the whole thing feel like this is like no big deal, especially when it's people who are not comfortable in front of the camera. I mean, it's great when you're working with models because they're used to it and they just work with you and you just have a good time. But if it's somebody that's not used to being in front of the camera... It's for me. It's really important to make them feel like the photo session is so secondary. This is like, ah, uh, yeah, whatever. We're yeah, we're going to take a couple of pictures, but that's that's going to be such the easy part of this, so we don't have to worry about it. If we're doing corporate work, the trick that I found with corporate work and making people really relax, because that's where you find a lot of people that are really uptight okay. and not happy about being in front of the camera. <laughs> the the thing that I found is one of two things. One, you get a really good assistant with you. And while you're shooting, you get that assistant to talk to the subject, you know, and that's why, you know, a lot of stuff will have the, the subject looking off camera and it's because they're interacting with somebody, they're not paying attention to the camera. And so to have a very personable assistant, somebody who's good at just having small talk and natural conversations is great because then I just, and I do this, I'll walk over to the assistant before, you know, if, if the model or the subject comes on set, and I notice they're a little uptight, I'll just walk over and, and kind of whisper to the assistant. I said, I'll want you to come right over next to the camera and just start a conversation with them. And a lot of times the subject will like feel like they can't talk to the person because they have to be posing. And I'll say, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll just I'll grab pictures you know, when I see them, but you just go ahead and have the conversation. Um, the other thing, again, in the corporate situation is to have a coworker interact with the subject. Okay. And, and I'll just grab a coworker, you know, that obviously, you know, cause everybody's always interested in the photo session when it's going on. And when I see somebody who knows the subject, I'll say, Hey, you know, come over. Why don't you guys just have a conversation? 
And it's really kind of that simple. That's great. And they tend to be much more natural. And a lot of times it's like, you know, everybody wants to make the person laugh. And so that's where you can kind of start to get that fun interaction. That's a really good idea. When you do some of your lifestyle work, the people that I'm looking at in these images, are they models for the most part? Or are you just... Uh, it's probably, they're probably mostly models. There's a few real people in there. It's usually probably like a 60-40 mix, 60 models, 40% real people. Okay. Because they, they just look really, they look like normal people, which is which is great. <laughs> I mean, for a lifestyle image. So. Right, yeah. I mean, a lot of it, you know, it's it's getting good casting, you know, and that's always easier said than done. Well, I'm just going to ask, uh, kind of before we, we wrap up here, uh, since you have some background in teaching and you've you've obviously got a lot of great experience and having been in different industries and, and especially so diverse, if somebody was interested in doing what you do, where would you tell them to start? Let's say somebody who, they own a camera, but not, you know, a whole lot of lighting equipment, not a big investment in anything. Where would they start in terms of just wanting to learn? Should Would you tell them one light, no lights, go out and use the sun? <laughs> and then how would they get into the industry part of it? Right. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get into the industry. I mean, I do not want to deter anybody from getting into this industry. It's a great industry, but it's really competitive. And so my first piece of advice to anybody who's, who wants to get into photography as a full-time business is you have to be thick-skinned and you have to be passionate about it. And the reason you have to be passionate about it is that there are going to be tough times. I mean, it's just, you know, I didn't want to hear this when I was a student. I stuck my fingers in my ear and went, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear that it's going to be tough out there. But it is. There's, there's so much competition. And the fact is, is that if you love what you do, it's your passion for it that is going to carry you through those tough times where anybody else is going to normally quit. So make sure you've got the passion for it and just, trust that that will carry you through those tough times. As far as, you know, one thing is just shoot. Shoot, shoot, shoot. The more you shoot, the more you're going to learn. And as far as starting with equipment, I mean, you want to you want to learn, obviously, as much about all of the varied pieces of equipment as you possibly can. Learning, your, learning lighting and composition are the two most important things, in my opinion, that you can do. And the way to do those, again, in my opinion, is go out and take some classes. There's weekend workshops. There's week-long workshops. There's day workshops. There are extension programs like UCLA Extension. Probably doesn't have as much to offer something like a an art center. There are art center at night classes where you're not taking a full degree program, but you're taking a class here or there. Anywhere you can pull that information. And then, you know, the phrase that we used to say when we were at Art Center was, a day of assisting is worth a term at Art Center. You learn so much by working for someone who's already doing it. And I did that when I studio managed. When I got out, I learned so much about the business, about dealing with clients, about the technical aspect, about lighting. All of that I learned so much through studio managing because I'm watching the assistants and I was assisting at, at times. And it's that experience. Assisting jobs are tough to get too. I mean, I get, you know, half a dozen people calling me a week hoping to assist. And the fact is I have my kind of corral of people that I use and I need to use the same people over and over again. Otherwise, I'd spend all of my time training people. On bigger jobs, I start to pull in new people where, you know, if we have a third or a fourth assistant, we can pull somebody new in 
and they're actually more of a runner uh, than assisting, but they get to then see how everything's working. Right. But if you can apprentice for somebody, if you can assist, there's so much to be learned there. But it, it really is, I mean, like I say, one of the things that I like is the Santa Fe workshops um, because they offer these kind of week-long intensive courses at reasonable prices where you can go and, again, get knowledge from working professionals. Right. And, you know, they're not professors who have been in the classroom for the last 20 years. They're the people that are out there doing it. And I know that there's other workshops out there. Even these days, things like what we're doing here, podcasts, you know, both audio podcasts and video podcasts. There's, you know, I was doing a bunch of podcasts to, to find out some um, techniques and tips for uh, Lightroom when it first came out. So that whole thing is a great resource for, for learning. But the most important thing is just shoot, shoot, shoot. And again, lighting and composition. Great. Well, thank you so much. And probably everybody should go out and buy a parachute too, right? <laughs> if you can find one, it's the best, uh, the best investment you can spend, $60 you'll ever spend. That's excellent. <laughs> well, Dana, that's what's going to be all of our DIY guys are going to be going out and doing that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Dana, thank you so much for, for sharing your time and your insight tonight with us and with all of our listeners. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Well, that's all we have for this episode of LightSource, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other LightSource episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the LightSource Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source you can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of and as always if you missed any of these links our quick outro here you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net till next time bye-bye Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.